when I was about 30, and I can't really remember the exact age. I know all the kids were born. They were preschool age. Jan had gone back and was working on her master's. At that time, our next-door neighbor was Buddy Beavers, and he wanted to uh, go to this concert in Lubbock, which meant that it was on a night that Jan was in school, so I had to get babysitter and did not want to go at all. But I'd promised, so we made the arrangements, and I went with him. And it was one of those moments when your life has changed to the degree that outside of your salvation, these are the moments that have become very defining. I could not remember the guy who was in concert, I don't know his name, but his testimony left a deep impression. I came back on Sunday morning and was teaching my Sunday school class upstairs, and Ronnie and Joy Bailey were in that Sunday school class, and as I began to share, Ronnie just shared a few things, but he went home after church, and he got a set of cassette tapes and, uh, and a book. The book was The Saving Life of Christ by Ian Thomas, and the cassette was the sermons by him in a week's revival. So I listened to him, and what I heard at the concert became very fixed in me. Very, very defining moment in my Christian life. Set some things in me. Much of what I still teach today originated from those moments. It was the beginning of when God told me, if you'll kick down the parentheses at the ends of what you believe, I'll keep teaching you. I will show you the depths and things of, of understanding. So this was the launching place. I was visiting with Jeremy Hensley a few days ago, and he asked me, he says, who do you listen to besides Bill Johnson and a few that are contemporary? He said, who do you listen to? And I told him, I said, you know, for the course of my life, the, the, the person that has had the most profound effect on me was Major Ian Thomas. So I just spun around to the computer and I got to YouTube and I pulled up a message and just played a little bit. It was so nice to hear that voice because he came here after I called him, after this impact on my life, I just called him. He lived in Estes Park, Colorado, so I called him and he happened to be there. He traveled 42 weeks a year. All over the world. I mean, it's, these weeks weren't back-to-back -back from Lubbock to La Mesa to Midland. This was New Zealand to Australia to, Great, to Britain to France to the British Isles. It was all over, in the United States. It's all over the world, week by week. He traveled 42 weeks a year. When he came here, he was almost 80. It took two years to book him. We waited two years, and I got sent to Chicago the week that he came. Couldn't draw a big crowd. His teaching's too strange, too unique. Wasn't evangelical enough. He certainly didn't mind, but from that point on, I'd call him from time to time, and we'd just visit and catch up, and especially when he was in Estes Park. It's good to hear his voice, and good to hear how well he teaches this stuff, how clear the messages are. The first person I ever heard teach on body, soul, and spirit was Ian Thomas, a message called The Tripartite Nature of Man, and he does it so, so well. Been dead, I guess, for about the last eight years, but his ministry, Torchbearers, is still, still, still teaching and sharing the gospel. So John chapter 15, let's go there. We're just going to look at the first eight verses. Beginning with verse 1, John 15. I'm the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges, that it might bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you, except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. 
He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. The very first reality of this, I'll start with verse 8, and I'll come back and I'll circle back to this. But the first and most evident truth, and I, and I, I don't know how as Christians we remove this. I don't know how as Christians we ever kind of allow ourselves to think past this thought. That there's a reality about the Christian life. That upon our salvation, something so much more dynamic happens. I had a conversation with someone this past week talking about why we teach that baptism is necessary for salvation. I was sharing this with someone who's very Baptist, and they was like, oh, I, can't, I can't agree with that. So we talked a little bit, and I, and, and I just shared. I said, the reason that we have trouble with that isn't because the basics of that statement, because I told him, I want you to understand something. What gets you into heaven That portion of salvation comes by putting your faith and believing in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, excluding baptism. But why in the world would I ever teach somebody that piece and not teach them how to have the authority as a son? Why would I ever try to separate those? It would be like taking Jesus' death and separating it from the resurrection, separating it from Pentecost, because it's one story. I should never take those three things apart. I should never separate Jesus' death that was the price that was paid for us from his resurrection, which gives me life. Why would I ever separate those two stories? But the reason that we can narrow it and just say that we're saved by belief and faith is because the salvation we're looking at is escaping sin and going to heaven. If we consider salvation not only escaping hell and going to heaven, but also escaping the reality of self-effort and the frustration of trying to be a Christian alone without Christ, and I'm going to get saved from that, that requires that I come back to life and have the authority as a son. Our confusion is in this word salvation because we make it, as it was described up here, just going to heaven, being saved from sin. The salvation that God provided not only saved us from sin, but saved us from self-effort. One by his death, one by, one by the baptism, the coming of, of the authority, so that I don't have to live this Christian life under my own effort. It's the narrowness of the word salvation that we use. But the truth of this is, every one of us saved has a statement now attached to us in verse 8 that says, Herein, by that faith, by that abiding, by that trusting, by that living in him and him living in us, by that fact, herein is my Father glorified, catch that piece, that you bear much fruit, so shall be my disciples. What is God's expectation built into his design over every one of us? Bear much fruit. Not because we try hard, but because we let him be in us what only he could originally be. Christ behaving as Christ in us. God being God in me. Christ in me. The hope of glory. A message lost in the church. Because we have discovered, as many do, that I have some power within myself. I have some knowledge within myself. I have some ability within myself. 
if that's the ability, that's the knowledge, that's the wisdom I'm going to trust, then my, my capability of producing fruit is limited to within those resources. The Holy Spirit is, is saying through John, Jesus is teaching. Again, this is stuff written in red, so I suppose Jesus had a red ink pen or something, so everything he wrote down, he could, we could know it was him. That was very nice of him. I don't know where the expectation changed. That as a Christian, we can actually look back across the course of our life and say, what is this much fruit that my life has produced? You see, I don't find an exception here. I don't find the privilege of us saying, well, uh, it was because of. I don't find that reason, that rationale in any of this scripture because Jesus is clear in his statements. It doesn't require effort. You abide in the vine, the fruit's coming. I told Shorty the other day, I said, in all the years of raising cotton, he could not get one of those stalks of cotton to produce cotton. He had no power to get that cotton to produce cotton, that cotton plant to produce cotton. He had no power to get that seed to produce a plant. Everything he did was to nurture it so that it could do what it was designed to do. The example that we use in my office, because I've got it set up, principles about the Christian life. So when we stay attached to the vine, the vine itself, by us and through us, will produce the result. The much fruit isn't my effort. We heard that up here. When you put oil in the lamp, it wasn't put in there so that the lamp could try harder. God put in us is not designed so that we can try harder, which is kind of perpetuated within the Christian world today. It's about effort. It's about doing things for God. It just won't work. So he begins, I'm the vine, I'm the true vine. And probably... Don't know this for sure, but in the context of where Jesus was, he's probably in a, in a situation where saying, I'm the true vine. That, there, was a, there was a context in which Israel was believed to be that vine. Symbolically, even because of some things that were taught in the Old Testament, Israel was kind of always perpetuated as that vine. And Jesus is correcting that, saying, I'm the vine. I'm the true vine. My father's the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit... This is the dilemma in the Christian world, is understanding this, this piece of the verse. Every branch in me. Who do we know we're talking about here? If a branch is in him, who are we talking about? We're talking about a Christian. Because in him there is no condemnation. In him there's life. In him there's truth. All those scriptures. So we know we're talking about someone who's saved here. It creates a dilemma, and there's several things that are taught. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he's taken away. Well... If you go into the commentaries and you look up this phrase, taken away, it can mean to be removed, but that's the third or fourth definition. That word in Greek actually means to tie up or lift up off the ground, to lift up. So if it's not bearing fruit, it's lifted up. That's what the husbandman would do. He would take that which was, was not bearing fruit and he would tie it up so it could produce fruit. It wasn't like what happens later for those branches that aren't in him that are taken away and burned. So it's nurturing those not forgetting them, not removing them. He is tying them up so that they can actually produce. He goes on. Again, this is coming out of, the, out of Jesus sitting here talking to his disciples very late in his ministry. And every branch that does bear fruit, he purges it that it might bring forth much fruit. Now you are clean. That word now means already. Already you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. So he's, we, we recognize he's talking to Christians. Abide in me and I in you. Simple instruction. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in, in the vine, no more can you, except you abide in me. I don't know how we confuse that. 
I don't know how in the world we could ever come out of a conclusion with that that says, oh, I know what he said. He wants me to go work hard. He wants me to go strive. He wants me to go try. He wants me to do things for him. He wants me to go for him. He wants me to, to work for him. How we ever got that out of this, I don't know. And, and I probably did it for years myself. But boy, when the understanding of this stuff comes, when this hits us, it's like I can't go back to something else now. We're having an ongoing conversation, and I'll describe this. I'll spend much more time with the church on this topic later. But in this question of denominations, when it ever hits you, when it ever begins to sink in that Satan is the author of division, we never read it in the scripture that even Jesus talking about, when it, about Satan, he says, a house divided itself against itself cannot stand. So when we know who the author of division is, and that's how he brings destruction for us to maintain the division that Satan has created along denominational lines and be proud of it, says something that my heart won't let me do it. Maybe when, when it wasn't that clear to me, maybe when it wasn't that, that self-evident to me that, the, that who the author of division is, and within our own denomination, we have to decide, or we, or we try to straddle the fence, am I BGCT or am I SBC? Because these people don't get along. They don't like each other. It's very definitive. They don't like each other. Who's the author of that? Satan is. And we perpetuate it and take great pride in those divisions. Now that I know that, I can't come back. When we begin to understand what it takes to bear fruit, how can we ever go back to a reality of, well, what God wants me to do is to work harder, to do more, go more, love more, share more, all the mores. It's like, it's not in here. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you, except you abide in me. I am the vine. You're the branches. Make sure you keep that clear. Don't try to put it the other way around. You're not the vine and I'm the branch. Don't try to tell me how this is supposed to work. This is very much, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Remember what comes first. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. It's not a hard recipe. It's very simple. And I can tell you the day that I got this, the day that this hit me, life-changing day, primarily from the teaching, without me you can do nothing. Remember what Jesus said in John 5, 19? Without the Father, I can do nothing. And guess what he says here? Without me, guess what you're going to accomplish? Nothing. And there's no something in that nothing. If you don't stay attached to me, if I'm not the one who's actually producing it, if it's not through me that the, that the water comes, if it's not through me that the nutrients come from the soil, if it's not through me as, as the vine, the branch will not produce. Separate it and you'll have nothing. Verse 6, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gathered them, cast them into the fire, and they're burned. That's the result of what happens when we're not in this relationship. Verse 7, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. You can tell how far we've kind of gotten off the plan, off the design, by how little we even believe that verse 7 will actually occur. How little faith we have in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Simple. If your mind and my mind are in agreement because I have the mind of Christ. If I'm praying according to the will of the Father because I hear that by the Spirit the will of the Father. 
if I'm living in that relationship with him, as a branch would with a vine, not trying to take on my own purpose or advance my own cause, if that's going to be the result, then ask, and it'll be done. Yeah, join heirs, absolutely. We just have very little confidence in that, that we can ask and it'll be done. But the reality is that he makes it very simple and says, if you want the second half of that to be true, look at the first half. Abide in me. We're just not very good abiders. We're not yet. If you abide in me, we kind of, there's a piece of us that understands that. But why does he say, and my words abide in you? What did he say in John 5, 19? What did he say throughout the book of John? He said, without you, I can do nothing. I can only do what I see. I can only speak what I hear. Every word that he spoke was in agreement with the Father. Every word that he spoke, he spoke because he heard it first from his Father, and then he released it. If my words, if what you speak are my words, because you heard me say them, not because you just read them, not because they're concepts, not because you had understanding of just what you read, and you can teach it because you read it. If my words, my thoughts, my expression, then this will be the result. Conceptually a very different spot than what we perpetuate or what we teach. It's simple abiding. And then we just circle back to verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified. I love that. When you see a plant that has just produced this magnificent flower, Jan takes some pictures, and she gets down on these flowers so that you can see inside that, so that you can see the detail of what's actually going on inside that, way down inside that flower. And it's almost like it has a personality and a life of its own. Beautiful colors, unbelievable detail in the center of those flowers, magnificently beautiful. And you recognize that was only possible because it was, it was being fed through a vine. The output of the glory was the result of some pretty bland stuff. But the output, because of how it was being fed, because of its nature, because of its design, was magnificently beautiful. Whether, you know, because Jen's favorite are wildflowers. It's the stuff that, that comes up on the side of the highway. That's what she prefers to take. Unbelievable result. Glory from some pretty unusual stuff, simply for the fact that that flower that was being produced was attached to something that was rooted in something that was being fed by something. The equation is not a difficult one, but I want to tell you, if you get it, and I say this to to young people even maybe more than the old ones, if you get it now, if you understand it now, what a different life you will live than what most of us as Christians have lived trying for the biggest part of our life to do something within ourselves that is impossible to do. I've got a good friend in Lubbock. His name is Jeff Ward. If you do any business at Alderson Cadillac, he's been the parts manager at Alderson Cadillac for many, many years. Wonderful, wonderful man. He was part of our young men's Bible study. We were kind of the only two older guys in there. The rest of them were Kendall and Eric and that age college guys, Brad and Brad and others. Jeff was in there, and he would tell me, over and over, because he's kind of got this in his late 40s, he'd say, I can't believe that I'm just hearing this. I can't believe that I'm just now at this point in my life hearing this stuff. It's changed his life just as, much, as profoundly as it changed mine. Because my life up to that point had been everything that church asked, the only answer that you can give to please God is yes. And suddenly there was a reality to, to Christ in me. And suddenly the, I found a no. Suddenly it was obedience. Suddenly it was him doing it and not me, and the self-effort went away. Amazingly different life if you can get it now and recognize that the way you please him is to just abide in him. Pretty simple lesson. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you.
that you just made this so plain, so clear, and that you just continue in these next few verses to expound on it and to teach us more. We thank you for the way that you show us with clarity what it takes to live within this Christian life so that we can, with evidence, bear much fruit. Thank you, Lord, for every willing heart, every willing mind, every willing spirit that will say yes to this truth and let you be God behaving in us as only you can behave. In Jesus' name, amen.